Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, welcome back, Chase Thomas podcast. Taping this on a Thursday afternoon. Stats by Will is here. It's Mister Substack. Stats by Will. People forget. Will Warren. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, got some really cool employment news today. Uh, I am the uh, interim basketball coach at Donda Academy. Uh, they they brought me in. They're not paying me anything. It's a really interesting gig. Uh, but uh, they, they brought me indoors, and uh, they've told me to not speak to literally anyone. So we're going to see how it goes. I I don't know, man. It's just, for me, it's weird because I... I guess I've just been out for so long that I don't, it's just apathetic to just, how do I phrase this? Where I think a lot of people are dealing with the reckoning now for whatever reason. Mm. And I was there and I think a lot of folks should have been there years ago. And this is just like the avalanche of just more, nasty uh hateful stuff that Mm -hmm. i mean has been a long time coming and i don't know it it's just a bummer and gross see this is where i'm a much worse person than you Mm. where like i i let the music sustain it for a while Mm. up until like you know 2016 i thought the dude was you know making really good albums like he still had good songs on some of the recent ones but it's just like there's a point where it's like you know they're not going to play power at games anymore like he's completely destroyed it you know mm-hmm. Be- I mean, beyond anything that i thought was possible which is remarkable for him i'm just worried this ends with like and not to get all political is just he's like the vp running mate for trump in 2024 <laughs> no i do have a running bet with my best friend that uh Don comes out and condemns his comments because my my theory is that if you think the funniest possible thing will always happen, and it generally happens, <laughs> that's number one. I um I I have my doubts about that one, but that would be uh one of the funnier. Um I would also just uh posit uh both should go away. That mm-hmm. would uh that would be cool. Uh, yeah, that would be nice. Uh, capital T take there. Uh both yeah. should go away um <laughs> that's what you came to this show for by the way is a well, discussion want... about somebody who honestly i'm not trying to name <laughs> right and one of the um other things i think people come to this show for will is they really want to get my uh up-to-date reaction power rankings for love is blind season three um mm. that i don't know if you're in on the love is blind show but i feel like i've been I've never sp- seen an episode which makes me more prepared to hear this <laughs> There's a character, Cole, who I want to compare. I, I got to figure out how to throw him into one of our uh, conversation topics. If I can find a way to uh, find some sort of uh, accurate, fair comparison from um, Cole from this uh, television show to Tom Izzo, uh, I think I've done I've done a great job today. I can go ahead and uh, just take off my hat and uh, say, hey, the job well done today. Today's mm. over. But, you know, uh, that show... I mean, I love my wife for a multitude of reasons, but one of the things that she got me into that was just not on my radar before being with her was reality shows where I I just did not spend any time whatsoever uh, watching them. And I won't watch a lot of (laughs) what she's into, Mm -hmm. but like 
the reality dating stuff i can't get enough of um f boy island is phenomenal love i have no idea what that is it's the hbo max one it's it's preposterous like you have to watch the show and it's just it's it's (laughs) i could go on and on i want to write like a full-on thing piece about these shows but um love is like nothing will top the ultimatum for me right now which is the most toxic idea of a television show of all time and it's great on netflix i would highly encourage you to watch that one because the 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 thesis of the show or the, the the way they frame it or the way they present it is insane where it's couples who were one of the two members of said couple issues an ultimatum to the spouse that like they have to go on this show and either they have to be engaged by the end of it or their relationships over it's insanity and they like date other people on the show or whatever stadium isn't that like 90 day fiance or whatever no, 90 Day is more of like, that's an international aspect where they uh, have to go back to their uh, their own country. Like it's a visa. Like uh, visa so it's issue. like a cultural. Yeah, okay. you got yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. to make a decision in 90 days or uh, said person, whoever is um, overseas has to go back overseas. This is how they should do coaching searches. <laughs> it's just like you get three months to like, uh unscrew up your program Mm -hmm. like to a reasonable degree we're not asking you to turn into gonzaga overnight but it's Mm -hmm. just like hey pittsburgh like stop being the most god-awful acc program to have ever existed just be boston college i would do a reality show of just a lot of the most awkward college basketball coaches on uh recruiting island just uh (laughs) to see how they recruit like the the game's best players you put them all on an island and let them like Bronny james this is the pitch Mm. uh hbo Bronny james uh in california like uh pepperdine and you present it as like its own little oasis (laughs) and all the coaches have to stay at pepperdine for two weeks and they all are in this bachelor pad together and talking about like what kind of what kind of pitch they're going to do. And like, Bronny's not going to your school. Like we got this, this, and this, and uh, who has the best trash talk, who goes to uh, the lowest in uh, trying to uh, get said player. I think it'd be fun. So I've got a flip side to this mm. uh, and it's called coaching Island. And mm. you take one college football coach, one college basketball coach and pair them off. And the first episode mm-hmm. is Jim Harbaugh and Tom Izzo. Mm. And I want to see one who comes out alive because I don't think both would. <laughs> and two, in a one-on-one basketball game, who is winning? There you go. Because they're both, I mean, like Harbaugh looks younger, but he's 59 now, I think. So is they're he? both pretty old. Yeah, uh, Izzo's 67. Hmm. Man. Uh, speaking of Tom Izzo, this is going to be a spicy one. This is a spicy wrong coach, <laughs> wrong team take. And this was built for you. I have this served up. <laughs> Will is on Substack. He's writing not just about Tennessee basketball. He's writing nationally. Tom Izzo, obviously not a fan of the current uh, transfer portal and players uh, moving on and NIL and everything else uh, at 67 years old. Not really a big surprise that uh, he is not all in favor of the grandiose changes uh, in college sports as a whole. Um, Now we're at the point, though. Recruiting's not great. Michigan State has not been that elite, elite Michigan State team in some time. 
And I just have have to wonder, are we inching towards that point where it's time for Tom Izzo uh, to move on and Michigan State would be better off with Tom Izzo retiring and moving on uh, into the sunset? Where are you at with uh, Izzo Spartans in 2022, Will? Uh, the problem is bringing me on when it's uh, Tom Izzo's long been one of my least favorites. <laughs> Sorry to our great. MSU listeners. Um, but... I would so I would push back a hair on that recruiting is bad. I don't think the recruiting classes are as stuffed as they used to be, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're not getting like, you know, a bunch of like Jaron Jackson or Miles Bridges or whatnot in the yeah. same class. But like this next year's class, like Xavier Booker, number three in America is in it. They've got uh number thirty-four, Jeremy Fears in that class. Like it's a decent little class. But it is kind of amazing we're having this conversation, isn't it? So mm-hmm. like Obviously, from a historical perspective, even I can admit Izzo is an all-time great who's delivered more to MSU than anybody could have imagined when he was hired. Mm-hmm. You cannot erase any of that. And, you know, with, for a long time, and uh, I think this lapsed, but it might be back on depending on like redshirt seniors or whatnot, the deal where every senior class made a final four, mm-hmm. they, they repeated that seemingly every February on ESPN. So it's hammered into my brain. But and so, I mean, like they have been to a final four. They were in one in 2019 and 2015. Like it's not been forever. But what we can discuss is that he's honestly done what I would call an unremarkable job. And like, if you were less charitable, you'd call it poor as head coach the last two years. So mm. last two seasons, you know, one of them, the COVID years, so you can understand like being a little flimsy during that. But this past season, not really an excuse, right? You know, you finish 64th and 42nd in Ken Palm. You win one combined tournament game. Uh, 64th and 42nd, by the way, uh, his entire 26th season tenure, which wild to say, is encompassed on Ken Palm. And those two seasons are two of the four worst he's had. Hmm. Uh, you know, contrary to Big Ten contemporaries as well, like, like you said, you can make a real argument. He's failed to use the transfer portal to his advantage and we made like the football and basketball talk earlier really wild of that like Izzo's this way given who the football coach at a school is. And and like given that every program there has used the portal like extensively, except for Tom. And I mean, like entering this season, state, one of three Big Ten teams who didn't take a transfer. Hmm. The other two being Iowa, who returned four of their top six players, and Indiana, who returned almost everybody on their roster. They want to reload with freshmen, which isn't like a wrong bet necessarily, but it's kind of a surprising one for a big time program to make. That's more of the bet that you would see like, I don't know, like a Minnesota or a Penn State take or Mm. like a high mid-major program, not Michigan State. Like you would think of them as like you would think of them as doing what North Carolina did going out and getting Pete Nance or guys like that. Mm. So uh, it's a surprising thing that he hasn't really adapted and this could just be like an older coach thing, but I mean, like Rick Barnes has hammered the portal pretty well. Other older coaches have done it. Uh, they need a riding of the ship. And I think a step in the right direction is sort of getting back on track for me as an objective quote unquote analyst here. I, I would like to see them finish in the top 25 this year, if not top 20. And given that they have generally, and it hasn't always been the case, generally overperformed in March, they kind of need to make a sweet 16, get back to that second weekend, get back to business. And given as advanced age, like he's going to be 68 in January, 
uh, like you mentioned, the question is also how much longer does he want to do this? So yeah. if he wants to keep going, I think this season's got to be that next step back up. Like, And it really does help him. We've mentioned this with every Big Ten team we've talked about. This is a crappy Big Ten at the top. Mm-hmm. Like this is the worst it's been in a while. I would be shocked if any of the teams finish in the top 10 in Ken Palm, which is unusual to say. So, I mean, the opportunity is going to be there for them to finish like top four if they want it, if not higher. So I, I want to see if this all-time great can get them back on the right track. I think he risks falling in the Jim Beheim zone, right? If this continues. If what the last two years are the track that they're on and he doesn't adapt in the portal and everything, I think part of the issue too and it speaks to your Michigan Wolverines, Juwan Howard recruiting the way he has in Michigan basketball, being as good as they are now, that's kind of affected things a little bit. Um, I don't know. I think you mentioned the Big Ten being weak, and I think that's something that helps him. It's going to shield him a little bit <laughs> because you have the Minnesotas, the Penn States, the Rutgers. I mean, even Rutgers has improved uh, for what they've been in years past. Northwestern, who we talked about a lot last week, but... I don't know. I just I think you just have to wonder at 67, the last two years being what they were. I think we should throw in uh, 2020 because they were 15 and 13 and were not a good basketball team uh, prior to the shutdown. So I think that's gotten lost yeah. in the shuffle. And I mean, we're this is year four of a recruiting cycle, right? Like these four years of uh, remember your stat where it's like the, at least one recruiting class or whatever made the final four or made the what was it? What was the stat specifically? The, the stat they always used to mention is that every senior class made at least one Final Four. And right. I, I don't think that's still accurate, but it was accurate for a very long time. Yeah, and I think, I just, there's nothing scary about Michigan State right now. It just doesn't feel like there's a lot of momentum and that they're going to bounce back and that they're going to be a Final Four team sooner rather than later. I don't even see like a UNC bump where you, if everything comes together, you have this hot seat. Like, I just, I don't see it. I I think this is just kind of, the program just kind of needs more energy or Izzo has to adapt. And I'm I'm just surprised, honestly, that Izzo, who flirted with the NBA for so long and seems like one of the coaches from the old guard that would have adapted better uh, to the changing landscape. I'm actually kind of surprised that he has struggled to adapt in this way. And I don't know. I, I just, we don't know which way it's going to go. He, this year could be a really good year for the Spartans, but I see another average year. And I guess it just depends on what you want from Michigan, from Michigan state. Like this doesn't feel like an elite eight team to you, right? Like a sweet 16, does it? No, but, well, I mean, I, I mean, like, they can make the Sweet 16, and I don't think, like, you can ever rule anybody out of the Final Four unless you're, like, a 12 seed or lower at this mm. point with how the NCAA tournament feels. I mean, we're probably overdue for one of those years where the favorites went out, but, I mean, it's still a thing where it, if you're just in there, you got a shot. Mm. But, like, on paper, I would have a hard time, like, definitively saying Michigan State enters this year as one of the 25 best teams. Hmm. They're they're right on that bubble for me with like, you know, Alabama, Virginia Tech, Dayton, Michigan, Florida, etc. Speaking of Dayton, though, I mean, I guess my question too, it's like if you want to have the difficult Tom Izzo conversation, the follow up is like, well, can they do better in 2022? Like, could they do better in your estimation? That's still a premier job around America. Like, would other yeah. 
big time guys look at the Michigan State job and be like, oh, that's one of the five, eight best jobs in, the, in America? So there, this is a yes and a no answer. Hmm. The yes is that there are guys out there. The no is that this is one of the closer things we're going to have to, and I understand like we're going to get this anyway with Duke and North Carolina, but more so with MSU who hasn't produced like a former player who's an elite coach mm. or like a long-term assistant. Being the guy who follows Nick Saban type of atmosphere Honestly, if Michigan State wanted to go out and hire a guy right now, I think you could do a heck of a lot worse than just calling Drew Valentine at Loyola Chicago if you give him another year or two. Hmm. You could sort of tell Tom, like, hey, two to three more years, we'll see what Drew does. Because Valentine's only 30. Hmm. He was an assistant at Oakland. He played at Michigan, or his brother Denzel was at Michigan State. He's got deep state of Michigan ties. And I mean, he designed Loyola's defense, which has been one of the hardest to break in all of America for four straight years now, no matter like what talent level you have. You could do that. Like they've got like, like, I mean, it's that or like maybe you could call Brian Dutcher at San Diego State if you need a stopgap. But I mean, you you look out there, it's it's kind of like a short list of like, MSU guys or people with ties to Tom Izzo, that would make sense. Mm. I would go broader. I wouldn't go the Michigan State ties. I'd be like, all right, uh, Coach McDermott, what's it going to take to get you away from Creighton? Like, let's just move you up a little bit. Um, let's let's see what but, uh, your interest, where you're interested. I would call Kelvin Sampson and be like, hey, how how much buy-in is there at Houston? I would look around. I would I would go big fish hunting first because I do think one of those names would be enticed. By even having to follow Tom Izzo, I think there would be uh, a strong look. And you don't have to do that, though. Like, look at what Arizona did um, with Tommy Lloyd, like the longtime assistant from a premier program who was just waiting for his spot and the right. And he already looks like one of the 10 best coaches in college basketball. And it's going to be just uh, a monster in the Pac-12, whatever the Pac-12 looks like from uh, in a couple of years. But going to be, no matter what, one of the better coaches in the sport. Um, and he was a huge unknown. So in Arizona, one of those jobs where we found, we were wondering, right? Like post Sean Miller, are we sure they can pull a big name? Are we sure Lute Olson's shadow is still that strong? That Steve Kerr, uh, Salim Stoudemire, and uh, Luke Walton and company can bring in a big name. And Tommy Lloyd was not a big name, but it was a surprise from a big program and now he just looks like maybe the next Lute Olsen. Like he's just going to, he's just awesome and going to be awesome there. So I don't know. I think Michigan State's kind of in that Arizona zone where you don't have to go for the big names, but I, I still think it's one of those jobs that's very recognizable uh, across college basketball, bunch of success, good recruiting area, and should be able to land. Uh, don't be afraid to take go out on a limb for a big time assistant at a premier program too. So I don't know. They're going to have to they, make uh, sooner rather than later. He's turned 68 in January. Like this is going to end. Um, yeah. Sooner probably, I mean, within five years, I would guess. Yeah. So you got to have a plan. I, I will say two things really quick. One, when you sent me this prompt, I Googled uh, next Michigan state coaching candidates. There's only one list out there, but it's from a radio station in Lansing. Mm-hmm. Uh, please guess, please guess who is number one on the list. Mm-hmm. What year was this? Uh, th- this is like this summer. Oh, 
It was just a hypothetical. They weren't serious about it. But guess who is number one? Number one. Okay, give me a hint. Is he a current head coach or is he? He, an he is a young man and he is a Michigan State alumnus. Draymond Green. <laughs> it was Draymond Green, number one on their list. Amazing. Uh, please do that. I would happily watch that. Uh, Draymond two, Juwan Howard. Uh, on the, oh uh, I think goodness. they would just murder each other on the sideline. Mm-hmm. Well, no, neither would leave a game alive. <laughs> Uh, but here's the Tom Izzo coaching tree, and I'm just reading names who have been active in the last two years. Jim Boylan, mm. Tom Crean, Brian Gregory, Stan Heath, Drew Valentine. Mm. That is the full list of active or recently active Tom Izzo coaching tree guys. So it is not an extensive group. Goodness gracious. Um, well, we'll see what happens. Um, they got time, but it is an interesting thing to consider that uh, Tom Izzo probably not going to run the sidelines uh, for uh, the Spartans uh, for much longer. Um, Will, you had a good tweet um, it's very rare. about the Manhattan... <laughs> about, no, you have a lot of good tweets about the uh, Manhattan basketball coach who was fired. And you said, quote, a truly extraordinary run makes NCAA tournament in 2014, takes South Florida job, has to quit two days later when it's revealed he lied about having a degree, takes back his old job for eight years, then gets fired 13 days before a new season. Oh, well, what 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 more can you say about uh, the Manhattan coach here? Old Steve Ma- Massiello. Yeah. What's, so what's funny is like when that all happened, he was a hot name. Because he that was when they played Louisville in the NCAA tournament. They like more or less battled Louisville to a draw. And that was a very good Louisville team who lost in the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was a Patino assistant for a long time. So that was his third year. That time he would have been 30, actually 36. So very young, mm-hmm. up and coming guy who is like obviously a hot name. Takes that coaching job <laughs> and... It's like, oh, he didn't actually graduate from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. You know, grovels back to Manhattan. But the amazing forgotten part of this is that he won their conference again the next season. Mm. Uh, but yeah, um, normally when guys get fired this close to the season, they've either done crimes or <laughs> have been part of a sex scandal or both, which is that's like the that's the triple crown if you do both, I think. Yeah. Like that's the Rick Patino or God bless him. The Patrick Beeline when he resigned like a week out. Um, so I need to, uh, Jamie, can you uh, pull Will saying uh, the line about crimes? It was a good, it was a good line. <laughs> can you pull that? Stop it. Okay. Oh, man. Uh, but, but in the press release, their AD was like, we need to do this before recruiting season starts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's October 26th. Uh, recruiting season ended a long time ago and it doesn't start for a while even for mid-majors so I don't know what their plan is I know that I think it's either five or six players have already said they're going to enter the portal including the NAAC preseason player of the year Jose Perez um what position is he uh guard so an open spot future 19 volunteer per game very good player so Tennessee ball (laughs) we'll see uh which I, I I don't know that I like feel horrible for Masiello because I'm sure he got a buyout, right? I'm sure he's like financially secure. But you feel terrible for the players involved because 
Manhattan was gearing up to be likely the challenger to Iona's throne. Because it's kind of like, as long as Piano's there, Iona's going to be number one in that conference. Not really anything upsetting about that statement. But they would have had the best chance to knock them off. Mm -hmm. uh, and it would have really been his best chance at the tournament since the whole job scandal happened. So I don't know what's going to happen to that program. I don't really know who you hire when your AD fires somebody two weeks out. Because <laughs> to me, like... I mean, frankly, I wouldn't want to work for that athletic director. Mm. That's that's just a situation that doesn't seem good, especially when it's like, when, when things like this happen, like I mentioned, generally you've done crimes or whatever. This just <laughs> seems to have been a contractual dispute. Like she mm. didn't want to extend him and he was upset about that. And so she fired him, mm. which couldn't you have just done that in April? So I, I don't know. I, I think they're going to have a really hard time finding anybody who actually wants to be there unless the check is high, high enough. And I am really curious because this is, I wouldn't say unprecedented, but mildly unprecedented that this many players make a mass exodus this close to the season. Will they hmm. be allowed to play immediately wherever they end up? And do they have to meet a deadline in that respect? Well, the semester is, um, let's see, two-thirds the way done. So I don't know how yeah. that works. But like, could, say, say that like Jose Perez transfers to uh, insert a school. Mm. Can he play on like January 5th? He should be able to, right? That's what my thought is. So mm -hmm. this is going to, uh, he's really the only guy that I could imagine making the big six jump from their roster. Oh, well, but Tennessee's that... out here, by the way, because Tennessee starts back super late in January because they have a winter term. So Tennessee's oh. <laughs> out on all these guys because they won't be able to play until the end of January. But it's going to be very interesting to see where these guys end up, what kind of happens uh, with all these dudes. I haven't seen where like, they've heard from or whatever, but I mean, there's already like Louisville is showing interest, uh, which is not a surprise given the Manhattan connection. And this guy was previously at Marquette. Hmm. and Gardner Webb he's transferred twice so you know might as well complete the you know the Mount Rushmore here but uh I don't know man it's it's unfortunate right like you just don't like to see this no uh Gardner Webb though right over there by uh East Carolina uh East Carolina it was uh, or let, Western Carolina excuse me let me tell you who actually before we move on who should mm. target that guy is Iona that's mm. the troll. That's the Patino troll move to end all Patino troll moves is to pick up his biggest challenger's best player. He could do it easily. Easily, that would be funny. Assuming there's like no sort of like you can't transfer in conference rule. I have my doubts about that particular conference having rigid not yeah. transferring in the conference. It's one thing with the SEC, like you can mm. see that level of pettiness. I don't think Iona and Manhattan have that level of. Uh, it just means more. Uh, not to besmirch the conference and the Iona Manhattan rivalry, but it seems a little bit different than Texas A&M and Alabama, just from my vantage point. But again, just my vantage point. Um, Will Huber Davis got a huge extension this week. Um, are you a full believer that Huber Davis is the guy long term, or is there still a little bit of a possibility for you that last year was a blip and? This is not uh, a slam dunk where North Carolina is back and contending for national championships for the foreseeable future. I don't think it's like a slam dunk. I mean, 
This is a program where like Dean Smith quit and the guy that they hired to replace him immediately went to the final four two times in three years before retiring. Hmm. So it's like, it's not, I mean, like struggling to have success at UNC is really hard to do, but Hmm. for Hubert, it makes total sense. Like, I don't think his stock, his stock may never be higher than right now Hmm. because he's right at the average age for doing basketball coaches at 52 loves UNC great decision by him to negotiate for a raise for a raise and like even if it doesn't end up working out to the full extent like this isn't one i feel like you'd fret over if you're a north carolina fan it's a reasonable bet on a guy that just took you to the national title game you make sure he stays on your sideline for as long as you want him so Mm. i think it's entirely defensible on their end like this could easily prove to be like oh he made one fluke run as an eight seed but there's also the chance that this could prove to be, oh, he turned UNC back into a yearly top five program. Hmm. I'm curious to see what the follow-up is this year. Now, like, it's just a very different approach where UNC, as silly as it was, was an underdog. And like this, uh, what an underdog story. The North Carolina Tar Heels making it to the national title game. Um, the classic underdog story. But that's not going to be the case this year. They are the expectations are there. There is so much more pressure on North Carolina in this group that collectively decided to run it back. Um, Look, (laughs) you've talked about this and I think it bears repeating is the North Carolina team that we saw in the majority of the regular season did not match what we saw in that tournament run. And you wonder how much of the tournament run was them figuring it out and how much of it was just, they played the best stretch of basketball they'll ever play at North Carolina and they come back down to more of who they were uh, for the majority of last year, which is also a possibility. Um, I don't know. I am very excited to follow along in what North Carolina does with this same group with that continuity and with that target on their back where the expectations are going to be sky high for a team that did not have those expectations with relatively similar players and roster shape. Like obviously a full year of experience with this group helps, but I don't know. I am very fascinated to see how that actually just unfolds on the court week over week. Yeah. Same. Uh, It's, it's a lot different mentally to do it when no one expects you to do it versus Mm. when you are literally number one in America. Um, Most interesting game on Duke's schedule this year is which one for you will well i honestly almost answered november 7 versus jacksonville because it is going to be extremely jarring to not see k on the sideline mm. my real you answer say here, you're all in on the dolphins right now ju and you're just you've honestly, been eating up some ju tape and the private school factor there that ju has just invested a lot of money in their basketball program one um, had no idea they were a private school. Two, yeah, uh, it's super expensive. Yeah, Ju is ex- oh, uh, super yeah. super expensive private school in Jacksonville. The Dolphins. Uh, but two, their head coach Jordan Mincy is like a potential future star, really smart hmm. guy. It's awesome that all of Mike White's assistants are better coaches than Mike White. <laughs> anyway, um, my answer here is kind of a boring one, but I think it's going to bear out as like a sort of like an early test for both involved. Uh, November 15, neutral site game against Kansas. Hmm. I really, for, when we do these, I hate picking early games because I don't feel they're terribly informative at season's end. Mm-hmm. And fans of teams involved 
absolutely love using these when they win in bad faith arguments to determine whose team is superior four months after the fact. Hmm. Uh, but that being said, this is going to be the first real test John Shire gets his head coach. Like, uh, we joked about Jacksonville, but it's like, I, I don't feel like on paper, Jacksonville or USC upstate are going to provide a serious test in the run up. Uh, if they do, that's probably a bad sign. But either way, this is a game against the defending national champion, and Kansas has a lot of their own questions to answer that we've covered in previous shows. Uh, most interesting game of the first two weeks of the season for anybody, I think. Um, and for Duke fans, I, I think anything other than a double-digit loss is at least within the range of acceptability. Like if Kansas blows you off the court, might be time to step back and think, oh, it's probably going to take a while for the freshman to gel or for like Jeremy Roach to kind of figure out his role or for the team to really come together in the way that it looks like they could on paper. But if they like, if it's like a full contentious 40 minute game where if Duke wins, then like you can kind of just hold your preseason expectations, right? Where they're this, you know, likely top 10 team. Shire is probably fine. They're more or less just carrying over what Kay did, but adding some younger, fresher tweaks to it. So I, I think that's going to be that that's a game I'm really excited to watch and one that could potentially tell us something real about Duke. True or false Duke finishes ahead of North Carolina in Kempom this year. Mm, that's tough. I, I'm going to edge false, mm. but I don't really love that pick. Um, In regards to the JU private tuition, what would you guess their tuition is yearly to go to JU? When you're saying it's like, so, well, hold on, is this in-state or out-of-state? Well, it's it all private, one? so I think, does it, isn't it, if it's I private? I guess it's all one. Yeah, I think so. Um, Cedric four, has 42, answer. 42. Very close, 48. Okay, all right, not far off. Yeah, Cause, it's cause been I think cool. That, yeah, some of those are like, you know, 50, 60, so. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to uh, people with a JU degree. There you go. Um, most Oh, excuse me. Jay Wright is going to be calling CBS games based on what you've heard in interviews and what you've gathered and garnered uh, about the personality that is Jay Wright off the court. Do you think he's going to be good as a color commentator? Do you think he is the type of ex head coach to be good at this sort of thing? Yes. Full stop. Yes. Because one very proud of this happening because I tweeted the day he retired that I wanted him on NCAA tournament coverage this next season. Hmm. But I didn't think he could be hired for the regular season. I guess it just, it didn't really occur to me that that was a possibility. Hmm. That's terrific. I mean, he's a calming presence, or at least as much as you can be for a head coach, because a lot of them are kind of scary, uh, or just intense. He's intense, but it's like, he has that capacity to be laid back. It's not like when you had Tony Romo join the NFL broadcast, Mm. But it's going to be like Jay Wright is going to be able to calmly, objectively analyze why this offensive set works, why this defensive counter mates might stop it, what certain lineups could be good. I, I'm going to read you the this is the list of analysts slash what we used to call color commentators for this most recent NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. The, these are the eight Bill mm-hmm. Raftery, Jim Jackson, Jim Spinarkle, Reggie Miller, Steve Smith. Steve Lapis, Deb Antonelli, Brendan Haywood. Right immediately places no worse than second on that list, right? 
Like Bill Raftery is the only one where I'm like, oh yeah, he's ahead, and it's just because he's very charming. Mm-hmm. Um, he's probably the best analyst day one. I like Jim Spinarco a lot. I think he's underrated as a partner to Ian Eagle. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about adding the, you know, depending on how you feel about like Mark Few, maybe the smartest offensive basketball coach in college hoops over the last twenty years to the premier network in college basketball. I, I mean. This is a huge like home run for CBS and good on them for being smart enough to hire him ahead of ESPN getting him, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like Fox, I mean, like Fox could have done that for the Big East. I'm surprised they didn't make that move. Probably it's a bigger market. Like I think the CBS job is the biggest one possible, right? Like I think yeah. college basketball is so closely associated with CBS that I think that's just the premier one you want to be on, especially on Saturdays and stuff like that. I just... I think that's the best one, right? Yeah, and we, we can you can kind of just pair Jay with pretty much anybody, I think, and mm. it would be fine. But if you want like the kind of like how people are like, oh, Prince and whoever playing guitar up in heaven right now, mm. like how you create this horrifying mega group of uh, people that probably sounds terrible in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's replace Reggie Miller on the Kevin Harlan broadcast with Jay Wright. Okay. Uh, because one, I'm confident Jay Wright has watched college basketball in the last decade. Mm -hmm. And two, I think that he will have something interesting to say after literally any play in the game, which is uh, more than Reggie can do. And like, whenever you put Harlan on a call, Harlan dominates in a way that no one else really does on play-by-play. But I I think like, you got to get him in there and get him in on big games like this whole season. Get get him, get his feet wet, get him ready, because I want him calling the big ones in March. I think he will. I think that's the plan, right? That has to be, right? I mean, like, you can't hire him and then shove him out there on, like, <laughs> the seventh team for, mm-hmm. you know, like, you can't put him out there for Texas Tech, Montana State. Mm-hmm. He's got to be out there for the big ones. Well, also, you mentioned Iron Eagle. He's taking over for Jim Nance. Uh, uh, next year, yeah. So, Which that's going to be real weird to hear somebody other than Nance on the Final Four. Ian's good though. Ian... He really is, but it's mm-hmm. it'll it'll be like the adjustment period of sorts where I don't really have a comparison, but like Nance is just such a legendary figure and he's called it for my entire life that it's gonna be weird when it's Ian, but he will be very good. Yeah, I think uh like you said, the main issue is just like college basketball runs into this problem i think they overthink the network hires where just mm-hmm. even if the name's not as big you don't have to hire reggie miller hire someone who is a former player that still watches like dan dickow should be the color commentator or yes um someone who is still very much clearly watching the product um who's the guy who does the uh, robbie hummel like just get yeah, robbie, robbie hummel, hummel is fabulous i yeah. wish he was signed with cbs because his, his talent gets lost on a lot of god-awful, like, Rutgers 57, <laughs> Iowa 52 games. Mm-hmm. And, like, Robbie Hummel really is my favorite uh, analyst that's not on the NCAA tournament group. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he's just wonderful. But but he's not uh, the name, and they are so worried about just, like, oh, it's Reggie Miller. And it's like, well, Reggie Miller doesn't watch. And it's not a, not a slight against Reggie. It's just he's busy. He's yeah. watching mostly NBA. Yeah, and but- that's fine. Just don't but, pretend. Like, Just get someone who's primarily watching college basketball. Why Why would you not? The product's it's, better. It's frustrating because like, I completely understand the desire to have in, like 
Charles and Kenny. C Web is another one we should throw in there because C Web does not watch college basketball either, and he does he does this. Yeah, see, I find C Web pretty charming, to be honest. You are just a Michigan guy, and look, I think he's charming too. What I'm saying is just ultimately, I don't think he's spending the time grinding the college tape outside of Michigan. I think that's that's about it for him. Yeah, they they need my man Jimmy Dykes on NCAA tournament. Jimmy Dykes is another good answer here. We'll we'll have a show where it's just you know ranking the analysts we've heard. Tom Green, I really enjoyed talking to. I think he'd actually be good. His energy, I think mm-hmm. he'd be pretty fun. But I, I think he might be more of a studio guy than a game yes. calling guy. Tom is a perfect halftime show guy. Yes. Look, CBS, call us, email us, chase Thomas podcast at gmail.com. We can make all these hires for you and just. We can save your failing broadcast <laughs> that has never made millions of dollars before. Put. <laughs> There's got to be a Nathan Fielder way of uh, framing this, but I cannot come up with it right now. Um, we'll end on or one other thing, though. You wanted to mention, uh, Will. What was that uh, other thing you wanted to talk about before we do our season review slash preview? Uh, there's a great tweet today on the Twitter.com. <laughs> um, uh, well, actually, two things. One, go to statsbywill.substack.com. Be mm-hmm. a subscriber. Uh, what, what is the Nathan Fielder line about uh, the toy? Where it's like if you if you don't have this toy, you're a baby. It, uh, if you're not a subscriber, you're a baby. I'm sorry. <laughs> like you you need to grow up. Um what was that? Oh my goodness. I know what you're it's talking about. It's called the Doink It. I remember. Yes. <laughs> uh but no, there's this tweet about like a college merch people own. And mm-hmm. uh one guy, Drew Hobb, who's a great follow and writes about Wisconsin athletics. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had like a three-page three Apple Notes of all the like home-field apparel stuff he owns. Mm-hmm. And I went through like my closet and was thinking about shirts I've owned in the past. And I think I could comfortably, if I combine all the schools together, have owned apparel from about 30 different schools during my life. Mm. Not, like only two of which I am like a fan or alumnus of. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, like we'd go on trips or something or you'd like go visit for a game or something and you'd buy like a $15 shirt or something, mm. you know, but, uh, yeah. I, my dad used to do that. And, uh, my wife, um, when she travels and, um, she asked me like just the Minnesota mug that I use a lot, like that's mm. a moose mug from Minnesota. And she was going to bring me back. Like, do you want a Minnesota Vikings hat or I'm like, no, I like, I, I just, I'm, I, I don't understand like I, I would never wear it out because mm. I'm that person um, when I was bartending in my 20s. Uh, one of the things would be an icebreaker for me would just be like if somebody was wearing like a Packers jersey or something, I would be like, oh, what do you, what do you think of Aaron Rodgers doing blank? And some like more often than not, and this was something that I realized, I think I'm old and there's just a different generation of sports fans where they looked at me with eyes glazed over like what am i talking about and i was like you're a packers fan and he was like oh no i just like green and oh. i was just like, eh. <laughs> and i was but you would be amazed to learn how many people are like that whether it's mer- any kind of merch with sport sporting gear and i just it always blows my mind because i'm just uh i, I just it's just not how i grew up it's not uh what i've ever under oh cedric also agrees as he meows and makes his he, he uh, is yeah. pissed off he has not been fed yet i i like it um cedric you can wait the pod first yeah cedric knows but uh, yeah f in the chat for the uh new mexico state uh coffee mug i used to have like 15, 10 years ago see that's what i like i would rather get like a minute i would rock a minnesota vikings coffee mug or mm-hmm. some kind of poster 
it would be cool. Like I'll put all kinds of merch up around the house and stuff like that. But like me just walking around in public with a starters Minnesota Twins jacket just seems very <laughs> strange. <laughs> yeah, it's just not me. Hey, um, hey, Mel, all of us who got a free Minnesota Twins beanie at the one game they've ever been to, don't don't talk us down, okay? I feel like, do we talk about that a long time ago? Like when we first started doing these pods, I feel like that's one of the first things you mentioned was your Minnesota Twins free beanie for some reason. Yeah, because I run with it all the time. That's this is what it is. Do you, Have you ever been stopped and asked like, hey, what did you think of... Uh, uh that joe mauer season uh, i I have been asked about joe mauer one time and Mm -hmm. i knew and i watched baseball enough back then to be like oh yeah those are good times but i'm not a twins fan you know kind of like bs your way through it a little bit i would go full out where i'm like no like kyle radke was my dude and uh (laughs) yeah justin morneau big fan (laughs) um well well we have our final topic here on uh this edition of the ostensible uh college basketball podcast here uh the kentucky wildcats are next up in our ken palm top 25 uh season review slash preview uh john calipari's wildcats uh land another five star this week this past week um looks like they're probably gonna land dj wagner it seems like yeah. it's pointing towards dj's not going to louisville and he's gonna end up at uh uk um obviously recruiting is really strong right now for cal he utilized the portal a lot more this past year um and he's evolved um and adapted and the offense uh more reliant on uh, shooting with grading company that it looked better still can't beat tennessee but look it's it's tough like rick barnes has a good program and it's just it's, it's not easy to beat rick barnes volunteers but i think right now we we're starting to wonder uh, a couple years ago where it's like, Oh, what's the gap. And then I remember writing this deep dive on um, Cal and Mark Stoops during that feud and kind of highlighting just what Kentucky basketball has always been. And just <laughs> how overwhelmingly dominant this program really is in college basketball and what it's always been in college basketball and trying to make it seem like, Oh, we're a football school or it's even close to being the, uh, a 50, 50 split is just silly. It's just, <laughs> you're never going to be happy as the football coach at Kentucky. If you see yourself as one, a one B, uh, to the basketball program. And I think fans have a right. It's like one of those rare schools where I think the expectations at UK should always be, we should have a shot at the final four just about every year. Like that mm-hmm. should be the expectation year over year at UK. And that's, there's only a couple of programs that should have that expectation and it be realistic, but I think they're there and you're starting to wonder, Oh, it's been a long time since Anthony Davis. It's been a little bit since they've actually made that deep run. You go back through it and you're like, okay, yeah, it's funny. They lost to St. Peter's, which it was a uh, capital F funny. Uh, yeah, it still it. is. I, I look, I'm like three months from calling Oscar Sheboy just big and saying like, no skill, just big. Mm -hmm. But they're great and they're going to be really good this year. Um, Cal's fine. They're they're going to be really annoying. They're going to lose in Knoxville again, but they like objectively, they're going to be really good as always. They come in at number one in uh, Ken Palm for 2023. Um, number two offense number two or number three defense like what are you most excited about with this year's Kentucky team who do you think is going to be the most uh, intriguing player um, with this group and 
are you pretty optimistic that Cal has uh, got this thing figured out and they're going to be okay with their on-court style, I think, uh, more so than anything else? Well, I, I am actually really curious to see Shibuya again because hmm. so I, I think obviously he kind of took the world by storm last year. He was a good player at West Virginia and mm-hmm. like at times really, really good. But there was not really a point there where he was anything like he became last season. Just an absolute monster. And I want to see, like, can you follow that up when you are the night in, night out, everybody knows the target. Mm-hmm. You are the guy we have to stop. You are the guy we have to keep off the boards. And you are the guy we have to try and get in foul trouble. And I trust that as a senior, like, he's probably going to be able to handle that mostly fine. But I, and this is not us being homers. This is us just, you know, being realistic. Mm-hmm. I wonder if teams are going to look at how Tennessee defended Oscar Shibwe because, I mean, if you go back and look at his stats from the three times he played Tennessee, it really wasn't that impressive and he was not the best player in the court in any of them. So mm-hmm. in Kentucky, nine points, 12 rebounds at TBA, 13 points on 15 shots, uh, SEC tournament, 13 points on 10 shots and he fouled out. Mm-hmm. So I mean, Tennessee was really the only team all season to, you know, completely consistently neutralize him like that. And I, I'm curious to see if other teams that are capable of playing that sort of, you know, you know one, it helps to have a guy who flails like John Fulkerson. Mm-hmm. But two, I'm curious to see if teams are going to be able to, you know, be confident in going at him and, you know, you know, accepting like he might get some shots blocked, but you have a chance of getting this guy to foul you. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it takes teams with quick guards, confident post players, which is not a lot of teams, but I think it's, you know, possible a few are going to get them. I, I will say I, I'm a little shocked they were number one at Ken Palm. I would have had like I've had them consistently, you know, number three, number four for most of the offseason. I think they're a top five group. I'm really curious to see Kaysen Wallace, this mm. freshman who could be an odds-on lottery pick. Savir Wheeler is going to be a really interesting piece to see how he follows up last year because I thought he was way better than he was at any point at Georgia. Mm-hmm. But again, it's going to be a sort of a competition of can Kentucky continue to progress in the right direction while still remaining behind the eight ball of sorts on deep shooting? Because... I mean, Kellen Grady helped a lot last year, but this is a team that still doesn't take many of them, still doesn't hit many of them. And in a, you know, a style of basketball where it's progressing more towards the perimeter more than ever, they ranked 351st in three-point attempt rate last year. Hmm. Helps just fine when you got Shibway on your team, but eventually somebody's going to have to hit deep balls. Otherwise, like you've said before, the games can become a math problem if they're close mm-hmm. enough. I just, I wonder now because the expectations are going to be sky high. Do you think this is, you you mentioned you were surprised about them coming in at number one um, with that, those expectations. Like you knew they were going to be good, but does this feel like if they don't reach the final four with this group this year is a huge failure? I, I never would call it a huge failure because I just think the NCAA tournament is so hard to predict now. Mm-hmm. I am working on a story on that at some point, but um, I wouldn't call it a huge failure. I think it, the the failure would be like if this team with this amount of talent doesn't at least finish like top 10 in Ken Palm. 
Like, mm-hmm. because to me, something clearly went wrong along the way there. Like, either Sheepway came in under expectation or Wallace didn't live up to the hype or Severe Wheeler couldn't become a consistent shooter. Like, something along the line didn't go to plan. Mm-hmm. Or, like, Jacob Toppin didn't take the next step, for example. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if they're at least top 10, I think it's fine. This is one of the five best teams in America on paper. Uh, and I don't really get too worried about the March thing because this really was the first out and out obvious, you know, implosion by Cal and the boys in March. Like they, they've had some surprising earlier losses, but this is the first like, oh my God one. If they don't win, uh, they don't finish top 10 in Kimpom. What would you guess on October 27th is the reason they don't reach their potential? Defense. Hmm. Uh, uh, and it's sort of, it stems kind of back to last year. So over the last 10 games last season, uh, per Bart Torvik, they ranked 163rd in defensive efficiency. Who do you think and that you fell go, on the most? Uh, I, I think teams just got really good understanding. Like, Sheboy's not going to come out of the paint. Mm-hmm. So if we run a bunch of pick and rolls, we can just shoot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for some teams that worked, like Tennessee wrote it pretty well. Uh, you know, Arkansas got some good shots, obviously St. Peter's. And then for some teams, like they got the shots and they didn't fall. Like Florida went three for 23 from deep in a game. They only lost by eight points. Mm -hmm. So I I think that's a big part of it. And when teams are hitting those shots, that forces the rest of Kentucky further out, opens up the driving lanes, you get more points at the rim and you get fouled more often. So they're going to have to either step that up and Shibley's going to have to be a little more versatile or they're going to have to find ways to force more turnovers. The The defense is the clear downside to what is otherwise going to be an awesome team uh, to monitor throughout the season. Your favorite player to watch when they're not playing Tennessee will be who? Sheboy. Because it's just hmm. like... I'm surprised Shibway, you went Sheboy there. Sheboy is the... Well, he's just big, but some guys are really freaking big, and he's one. And mm-hmm. I, I'm kidding. Like, Sheboy can... Could, Sheboy is not Kofi Coburn. Sheboy can hit a jump shot, right? Mm-hmm. Like we watched him hit free throw jumpers last year. Not a big deal. Um, when he's going, I would best describe it as like watching a bulldozer, bulldozer run over a bank. Mm. Like it's just like this man's not really moving fast, but he moves kind of like how uh, Shaq used to like put his groin in people's faces when he would dunk on them mm-hmm. and just stand over them. That's like the feeling I get when I watch Sheboy. It's like listening to DMX. I just get excited. <laughs> What's your favorite DMX song? Uh, Everybody does like Party Up, which I do like a lot. But I don't know. He's got, there, there's a bunch of really good ones. Um, what do you run to? X going to give it to you, Rough Riders Anthem. There's a couple that I cannot say on this podcast because I don't want to be bleeped. Uh, How's It Going Down is a really good one, too. What do you run to? Do you run to stuff like DMX or do you listen to podcasts or what do you do? I have split it up recently. So I've been doing half music, half uh, podcast or audiobooks, especially in the longer runs. Mm -hmm. So it's like, and I might have to remove a certain artist from my playlist going forward because, Mm. yeah, really disappointing. But new t swift album out you can add some of those to it my wife um, loves that album she's a big swifty i think it's good uh i've i've been surprised with the divisive reaction is it divisive i have not very, kept up with the very fallout. divisive okay um did she mention jake gyllenhaal on this one 
No. <laughs> That's good. So I'm going to read off some songs from the uh, the long run this past week. This is a great radio, by the way. Yeah. So you start with a little Light My Fire by Al Green, just to get it <laughs> okay. rolling when it's cold in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, toss on uh, Fishing in the Dark by the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, an all-time banger. Uh, Ain't No Sunshine by Bill Withers, because I was running uh, before the sun rose. Mm. Uh, let's see here. Whole Lot of Rosie by ACDC. Really nice pump up one. Mm. Um, let's see. The classic from 2002, Oops, by Tweet featuring Missy Elliott. If you haven't heard that one, great song. Never heard it. Yeah. Uh, and then you got to toss on the uh, MGO blog podcast of the week at the end. Okay. Yeah. We're flipping the field. Okay. I like it. Uh, Will, what can the good folks check out from you over at the new website? That's by will.substack.com. Subscribe today. Uh, well, we got a lot coming. I am posting, mm. and I said I wouldn't do this, but I will do it because uh, I need to shake the rust off. A preview mm. of the Gonzaga exhibition Tennessee's playing in for charity. Mm-hmm. Uh, next week, the 31st to the 4th, there will be five pieces on Tennessee basketball and a sixth on NCAA at large, including my picks for the best game in each conference this year, mm. uh, as well as some surprise and disappointing teams. Uh, and a lot to come. Like I've mentioned, we're doing some we're doing some coach firings. We're potentially doing some coach mm. interviews. We're doing some rankings. You will get my top five Apple varieties on the blog this year. I promise you that. Mm-hmm. So, a lot to come. A lot of discussion about how Granny Smith is an underrated variety that people hate too much. Hmm. I, I do actually have a stat that caught my eye this week because I was doing okay. some poll I'm research. Right. Uh, and I apologize. This is already very long. Uh, new AP polls out. Gonzaga's number two. Can you name how many weeks in a row they've been in the top five? Weeks in a row? Yeah, and this is just like in season, not counting like you know non-season weeks. How many weeks are in a year? About twenty in the average season. Okay. I want to say like fifty-five. You almost got it. Fifty-one. That is the third longest streak of all time. Uh, second place is 61. Number one is uh, John Wooden's UCLA for a streak that spans seven years. So I don't think that one's touchable. But I have a follow-up question because this is mm-hmm. frankly hilarious. Who has the second longest active streak and how long is it? Is it Baylor? It is Baylor. Mm-hmm. At four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, just a mere 47 week gap from first to second. I feel good. That was good. That was really impressive, honestly. I didn't think you would get it. Uh, I, I need to pull up to see who, I, I think it would be Kansas who had the second longest all time at 61 weeks. Mm-hmm. So, and that would be like mid January. So that's something interesting to watch this year is. Can, and especially given Gonzaga's got a pretty hard uh, non-conference schedule, can they stay in the top five? I like it. Uh, so that's by will.substack.com. Subscribe today if you've not already done so. All kinds of new content. The college basketball season right here, right around the corner NBA season here. Like it's basketball time uh, yeah. in Tennessee, sir. You can feel it in my face. I'm so excited. I'm glowing. I'm happy. I'm ready to rip, man. There you go. I love it. Uh, Stats by Will, always a pleasure, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks.
subscribe me on. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.